Test, test, test. This is a test. Blah, 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 blah. Clarity. Talking to a microphone that looks like a snowball. Bam. Welcome to the American Empire Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Elias, and that music was written by George Gershwin, one of my favorite composers. So, what is this podcast, and what is an empire? This podcast is going to be a narrative history about the rise of the USA and how it reached its status as a superpower on the globe. It is an interesting history worth retelling because much of it is wrapped in legend. This podcast proposes the idea that the USA is a continuation of the British Imperial Project, which was severed by the American Revolution, further contending that the American Empire came into being whilst other European powers were being formed, calling into question the notion of US benevolence and liberty, and thus the idea of American exceptionalism ought to be revisited. The approach taken is not done with malice in mind. Rather, it is an attempt to reframe the discourse of the USA for a more informed debate on contemporary issues, to place it on a global history, and to make it accessible to the wider public. I'll do my best to avoid jargon, but at times it will be inevitable. The form of this podcast has taken its inspiration from none other than Mike Duncan and his long-form histories of Rome, and of the revolutions across the world. I have used a wide range of sources. I was lucky enough that my university was throwing away American history books, which I then retrieved from the bin, or if you're American, from the trash. These books are great, they're all free, and they're all relevant. That said, the logical scaffolding for this series has been borrowed from Cambridge professor A.G. Hopkins in his dense book called The American Empire. A quick note about myself. I have never attempted to create a podcast, so one must bear with me. Occasionally, I have troubles enunciating words stemming from my epilepsy. This podcast is also an attempt to improve the clarity of my speech. Practice makes perfect, or something like that. Wish me luck. Academically, I have been trained in the discipline of history, whatever that means. As I create this podcast series, my master's thesis is being graded. As it turns out, I cannot sit still and not study for a long period of time. What do you know? Well then, with that out of the way, what is an empire? Let's begin with a definition of empire. A quick Google, let's be honest, we all do it, says that an empire is an extensive group of states or countries ruled over by a single monarch, an oligarchy, or a sovereign state. A more nuanced take in globalization and violence defines empire as polities that, quote, extend relations of power across territorial spaces over which they have no prior or legal sovereignty and where, in one or more domains of economics, politics, and culture, they gain some measure of extensive hegemony over these spaces for the purpose of extracting or accruing value. A broad definition to say the least, but it captures the essence of the American empire. The U.S. had multiple phases of imperial expansion, 
some of these phases are more recognizable than others, but with such ambiguity leads some people to outright dismiss the idea that the United States could be an empire. Arguments tend to point to their territorial boundaries and compare them to the British Empire, which, at its peak, controlled a quarter of the world's landmass. But such comparisons are misleading, for it does not explain the full complexities of empire. Yes, it is true the boundaries of the U.S. are not equivalent to the British Empire, but the U.S. began with 13 states, not the 50 it has now, plus all the additional territories. The westward expansion after the Revolutionary War cannot be forgotten, nor can the war with Spain, which ended with Cuba as a lucrative protectorate, and with the acquisition of the remaining Spanish colonies throughout the world. In broad terms, then, the expansion, appropriation, and incorporation of all these lands took place during the European Age of Empires. The imperial project spanned the Atlantic Ocean. As Bernard de Voto stated in 1952, quote, one of the facts of the United States is that its national and imperial boundaries are the same. End quote. This, in turn, conceals the American imperial project. And, through ideology and discourse, the idea of American power is framed as benevolent. As conservative icon and former president Ronald Reagan once said, quote, I always felt that from our deeds it must be clear to anyone that Americans were a moral people who had always used our power as a force of good in the world, quote. He may have been entirely sincere in this belief, but Cuba would disagree, and they would behave most horrendously. They would behave just like the American Founding Fathers, and the US would never forgive them for it. So, as I briefly mentioned, there is going to be a scaffolding to this series, which is going to be broken up in three phases proto-globalization, modern globalization, and post-colonial globalization. The first phase, proto-globalization, is the familiar history of the 13 colonies as part of the British Empire. Even after the Revolutionary War, they remained within the sphere of influence of Britain. The Civil War, in parallel to the developments in Europe, saw a push and pull between conservative and progressive elements within society. The North sought tariff protections for developing industry in order to break away from the British Empire. The South sought to maintain free trade of agricultural goods between Britain and the US. From the common ruin of the Civil War led a nation to be born. Economic dependency was severed from Britain, signaling the beginning of the second phase, which began with American industrialization. This second phase, known as modern globalization, was when American power could began to be flexed, and an empire separate from the financiers of Britain was being formed. The Industrial Revolution propelled the US to behave just like their European counterparts. The irresistible tendency for expansion kicked in, the consolidation of territories into the West and to the South in the Caribbean began. The territorial expansion of modern globalization largely ended with the borders of the modern United States. The final phase, the decolonial globalization, is our present phase. Beginning after World War II, this period was a time where the empires of the world transformed from territorial empires into informal empires, which indeed it was. Many empires, in fact, gave up their territories, so to speak. However, their purse strings were still closely tied to their former colonies, 
creating the same economic dependency the US experienced with Britain after they gained their independence. But with all of Europe and large parts of the Asia-Pacific devastated by World War II, and with the US left mostly untouched by the war, the American Empire found itself the most powerful nation in the world, closely followed by the Soviet Union. For the rest of the century, the history of the American Empire has been its attempt to maintain its hegemony that fell on its lap after World War II. New states attempted to forge their own path, independent from European or American power, but these states would have to face down the US military industrial complex and their leviathan intelligence agencies. Remarkable if a new nation was successful in gaining self-determination, such as Cuba, but a difficult path moving forward. Informal imperial power is still exerted on newly developed nations, which ties us back to the definition of empire. They are a polity which gain a measure of hegemony over those spaces for the purpose of extracting an accruing value. Sometimes when people deny American imperialism, they point to US interventions as wars of liberation. Sure, they wage war, but once the matter is resolved, the United States will walk away, right? Just look at World War I and II. Unlike European powers, where their intervention usually ended with their occupation, the United States would intervene on behalf of freedom. Well, not quite. Thomas Jefferson called the United States an empire of liberty whose manifest mission was to spread freedom, but this freedom always came with strings attached. So, to this end, my desire is to share my readings with you, and for two reasons. The first is, I thought it prudent to understand and know how the history of one of the most powerful nations in the world came to be, and the second is, I love sharing stories, true stories. Humans are remarkable when one stops to think about it. Who was the man who thought, oh yeah, let's just put a man on the moon by shooting them on a giant missile into space? I mean, it's a great idea. And why not, hey? It is bizarre, it was mad, but it was successful, which is amazing. We are creatures who have esoteric fantasies, but the capacity to make them real as well, which is kind of cool. Equally, empires are these human creations with multiple dimensions. There are ideological currents, class tensions, discourses of a manifest destiny, a cult of antiquity, a Puritan vision of America as this shining beacon on a hill which justifies and sustains the empire itself. And when these ideologies and discourses come into conflict with the realities of life, Often then, the crisis follows with economic and social political consequences. For clarity, the themes covered in this podcast are not the meaning of the American experience, but rather their combination. The unfolding drama allows us to better understand the modern United States, and we will see again and again their history is both a triumph of humanitarianism and its greatest threat. Since the US is an empire of old, which reached its height internally and externally at the end of World War II, then we'll see how it deals with the emergence of new powers in a society increasingly adverse to war. In a narrative that will increasingly rhyme, the picture will become increasingly dreary. I must also address the question on terminology. Native American, Indigenous American, American Indian, which should I use? The debate is long and painful. 
Russell Maines, an activist and prominent member of the American Indian Movement, argued that they shouldn't be referred to as Native American, believing that it's too generic, which lumps too many people together as one ethnic group. He rather be called American Indian, asserting that they were called Indians when they were colonized, rounded up, and displaced by American authorities, and as such, the name is a reminder of their history. Naming conventions are important. Means' argument is far more sophisticated and personal than presented here, and yet many other authoritative figures disagree on terminology. I guess here I'll use Native American and American Indian interchangeably. Where the name of a nation comes into the historical narrative, such as the Arawak in the European discovery of the Americas, then I'll name them as such. Often when historians are writing an American history, the treatment of American Indians' experience is filtered through the European perspective. In this respect, then, I'll do my best to express the American Indian experience from their perspective as well. Finally, some words on the broadcasting of this program. Where to begin the history? People traditionally start with Christopher Columbus in 1492. His story is a useful example of the transformation European nations were going through. Major political, religious, health and economic forces were pushing Europe out of feudalism and into the social relations of the modern age. It is, I suppose, a prelude to the greater American story. I'll pause or change the pace of the program if circumstances necessitate it. But if all is well, the History of the American Empire podcast will persist until the end of the Obama administration. I do not want this history podcast to transform into a current affairs podcast. I'll stop at major intervals in the American narrative, such as the American Revolution, the Civil War, the Mexican-American Wars, or the Spanish-American Wars, and so on. I'll take time to read some more, have a rest, and come back to record new episodes. My target is to release an episode about once a week or a fortnight. We'll have to see how we go. I hesitate to do a history of the American Revolution because Mike Duncan has already done such a great job. Once again, big fan, big inspiration. Well... Did I just commit to an episode a week? Maybe. We'll see how we go. So, let's do this history. Because, you know, who doesn't like a good story? Story.